Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Steve Furman. He is a virtual chief information officer, helping C-level executives and business owners understand and align their technology with the goals and needs of their business. Steve is also a Microsoft certified systems engineer, blockchain certified, HIPAA security and awareness trained. He spent five years in the United States Marine Corps and currently sits on the board of entrepreneurs organization. Legal Vendors Network. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for everything we're going to dive into today. It's a very unique from a lot of the guests that I have on this podcast. And I think that it's something that we all need to think about. And oftentimes it's not something that people dive into when they're starting a business or working on their business. And it's the last thing. And then you have a lot of cleanup, right? Oh, yeah. People start doing what they do because they have a passion for it. It doesn't mean that they're good at accounting or they're good at technology or anything else, but that kind of comes with it. Yeah, definitely. Can you share your journey with us and how you became a virtual CIO? Sure. I'll try and give you the short version, but there's 40 years of it that got me to where I am. I started in the Marine Corps doing technology. I was a wireman and I did top secret communications with a NATO clearance. Got out of the Corps and in 84 and 19. 86, I started my own IT company, but then was a managed service provider business, but nobody knew what that was yet. We hadn't really figured that out yet. Just like the cloud used to be data center hosting, and now it's the cloud. And I basically started building computers and servicing clients and building networks. And I taught myself, I finally got certified as a network engineer uh, with Novell, which most people have no idea what that is, but it was pre before Microsoft figured out their networking stuff. And I built up my business. I consider myself an innovator. I started doing online data backup in 2003 when it was $40 a gigabyte. It's now about seven cents, maybe five cents a gigabyte. And I built a reseller channel. I built an internet cafe with a training center that was Microsoft certified that went up in 99 and down in 2000. And I started figuring it's great that you can recover your data and restore your information and it's smart and proactive, but what if you were just never down? What if you were always up and running and your information was elsewhere outside of your office so you weren't uh, susceptible to floods and fire and employee damage or someone grabbing that server and walking out the door with it? And I started doing remote desktop computing back in 2010. And I did it with a company that I found in the UK that wrote some really cool control panel software. So it was all just done online and I'd provision the servers, provision the desktops from my engineers, my techs would. At that point, I wasn't doing as much on the tech side, but they really couldn't handle the load that we put on them. So in 2013, I sold my backup business. I had enough of the lack of support and infrastructure that they, they were supposedly providing us. And I found a company in California called Cloud Nation, and I bought it with the proceeds from my backup sale. And Cloud Nation is built in Amazon with Citrix on the front end. And they really had a great environment, but the guy couldn't figure out how to sell. And his wife basically said, either you figure out how to make money at this, or I'm leaving, or you got to get rid of it. One of the three is going to happen. And he sold it to me. And that was a good thing for my company. I was able to move all my clients over 
we use some pretty cool technology to migrate everybody over and with zero downtime. And that was over 400 clients. So it was a lot of data moving and we did it in three months. In 2016, I merged my companies with another company that went from 3 million a year and 10 employees to 30 employees and 7 million a year. And I figured I'm 55, this is great. Here comes my exit. I had always built my business where one day I'm going to get to have a big exit. I think I'll let a lot of entrepreneurs hope for, and that was really my nest egg. And unfortunately, a year later, they fired me. What I didn't know is you can be a quarter, any percentage owner in a company and still be considered an employee and still get terminated. So honestly, what led me to becoming a VCIO is I spent the next two and a half years in litigation. I couldn't compete. I couldn't work in my industry. I literally was handcuffed in doing anything that I knew or loved or had a passion for, which is helping people and helping them in technology. So I started thinking, what if I don't fix anything? I don't sell any technology, but I consult. What if I share my knowledge and my experience of all these different industries, all these different systems and years that I've been doing this, my IT company for 32 years. So I had all this experience. I decided that I could be a CIO. And I started that in January of 2020. And it took me a while of giving good, helpful information on LinkedIn and sharing. And then the pandemic hit in February, March. And I said, well, then I'll just be a VCIO and I'll do it all virtually. So how I got here was from a bad experience. And I really had the option to give up or go into another industry, but that's not who I am. I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I invented a new way that I could actually help people and get paid for it. Amazing story. I think that when we initially talked, I was like, man, you're like Steve Jobs. <laughs> they, hire, they get rid of the smartest person on the team and then you start over and create another empire. <laughs> yeah, I have. And ironically, I just got in March. Now I'm on my seventh company of getting scaling up certified as a scaling up business coach. So fourpillarcoaching.com, you're going to hear about that's coming out and websites up and you'll hear all about that down the pike. So watch LinkedIn. It's coming. It's amazing. So what are some of the top IT struggles that businesses come to you for? Lack or no guidance on technology. You do marketing, you do podcasts, you do them both very well, but that doesn't mean how to install or set up or maintain a server or what software applications would be the right ones for you. So really a lack of guidance. They find that a lot of times they're paying too much and they're not getting the support they need or the IT company that services them or even the internal person that's servicing them is not providing them the support in a timely fashion, in a timely manner, especially these days where labor is a real issue. There's just not much labor out there to hire. So a lot of companies really could use a third party like myself that can understand, walk and talk the lingo and bring it back into English. But where I think I really add extra value is I've been a business owner for 38 plus years for a very long time. And I think about technology in a business owner's mindset. So I have a technological brain with a business owner's mindset. And I really approach it that way. So they come to me mainly because they're pissed off because they're paying too much. They're not getting supported. They're not getting what they're supposed to be getting, but they just don't have any guidance and they really need someone just to give them a little nudge, a little push, a little help. So how do you help businesses prepare for disasters and outages? I might say this twice, but if you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. 
I'm really big on being proactive. And one of the first things that we do is we have a four-step process in my business. And first thing we do is interview the C-level executives all the way down to the frontline workers. And nine out of 10 times their alignment is like this, or they're working in different silos. They're not all one cohesive unit. But I gather information about the company and then I design a process for business continuity and disaster recovery. So it's really about, and I'll use the Marine Corps as, as a perfect example, In the Marine Corps, we did drills and you did the same thing over and over again, over and over again, just like if you had a fire drill. Why do you have a fire drill? Not because you don't know how to walk out the door, down the stairs or where it is, but because this way it's instant. You don't think about it. This is exactly what happens, exactly what you do. And by having written process to have business continuity disaster recovery, it helps you to put all the systems in place so that you have redundancy, you have failover. So there's a lot of talk about possible cyber, like an international, some sort of cyber warfare. Is there anything that businesses can do to prepare for? I'm a big believer in a layered approach. If I was a car thief and I wanted to steal a car, I would probably go to a place that has lots of cars, a parking lot, we'll use for an example. And in the old days, we used to have these bars you would put on your steering wheels and you'd have a little red light that blinks for the alarm. And I would look at a car and if there was a bar on the steering wheel and I could see the red light blinking, I probably would walk to the next car that doesn't have a bar in the steering wheel and maybe the windows cracked and go, oh, easier opportunity. Cyber criminals are 99% opportunistic people that are just out there scanning the network, looking for holes, looking for things that are open. And as soon as they find a car door that's unlocked, they're going to open that door and then peek in and see what else can we get to? What other ports or what other ways of access do you have in? So a layered approach, antivirus on every system, endpoints all the way to servers, use VPN tunnels, whatever possible, or encrypted tunnel software like a Citrix or remote desktop connection, but make sure the encryption is turned on. Things like, I mentioned a few names, uh, malware bytes to make sure you don't have any malicious keystroke logger information that's being collected on you, all the way to uh, Trojans and other bad hacking tools that they drop on your computer that have time bombs that go off at certain days and times. I use a product called Guardio. Again, to mention, I'm not a big name dropper, but I use Guardio because it really is good at checking out websites. And if it sees malicious content, it throws up a big message that says, hey, you sure you want to go there? Phishing software, huge. It's so simple, easy to be on the phone talking to somebody. You get an email come in and you automatically just respond to that or click on that link. And that link has now just compromised your system. So that goes along with education. And there's companies out there that do that. Barracuda, No Before. These are all products or companies that send fake, not dangerous phishing or hacking attack emails to people. But when they click on the link, it takes them to a training site. It says, hey, you've just been hacked. You've just been phished. The reason why is, and they go through all the reasons why. That's good. Yeah, definitely. So what ways are businesses putting themselves in harm's way or high risk with their infrastructure? They call them server huggers. They still haven't figured out that the cloud really is a safe place if it's set up properly. And they're putting themselves at risk by having their infrastructure, what I call server hugger, in their office. Now they're all working remotely. I think it it forced a lot of people to have to go to the cloud. Some people did leave their servers and equipment in their office and they're remoting into their actual office. 
but nine out of 10 of those don't have generators, battery backups, good firewalls, dual internet connectivity. So you're really putting yourself at risk. I think that people really need to embrace the web, but they need to do it in a planned fashion. That doesn't mean you go out and just jump on a bunch of software as a service apps. And those are like the Google's pipe drives, Salesforce's, and there's nothing wrong with these apps, but you need to do it in a planned fashion. What works for your business? What makes the most sense? And what's the most secure? So I think they're putting themselves at risk by not having a plan of action to adopt the proper cloud technologies to secure their business and make themselves 100% autonomous to any infrastructure. And brick and mortar is really a history of thing of the past. Should companies be training, let's see, what should companies be training the most on for their company safety and security? I would say phishing, hacking is probably the biggest one. It's if you get an email from somebody that looks like it's somebody, but the content looks a little funky. If you just double click on the email address, don't click any executables or any attachments, but if you double click or in some systems, depending Mac or PC, click on the actual from address, the real address behind what's called a spoofed or display name shows up. Another way, so you want to make sure that's really from the right, from the right person. But you got to be careful because they may have been actually hacked and that person has now compromised their email and they're sending it from that account. So the other thing to do is if you get suspicious or an email that just doesn't look quite right or something like that, they would never say to you, send a separate email to them. Hey, did you mean to send me this? God forbid, pick up the phone and call them. I know we don't use phones anymore, but for all the youngsters out there, text them. Okay. And just find out if they really meant to send it to you. Yeah. Some of them are really good too. Um, I got an email, probably the, I've always been aware of the phishing emails and I, and when I worked for, in IT architecture, AT&T wireless for a number of years and that, so that kind of educated me back in the day. And so I would do that. I would look at the emails and recently I got one and it was, it looks so real. And I'm like, I can't tell if this is legit or not. So what I did instead of clicking on anything, I actually went to my actual account and logged in to see if any of the things that it said were legit. If I got any notices inside the account, that sort right. of thing. And right. there wasn't. And so I knew that it was a fraud. Cautious. Be skeptical. Yeah. Know, it's really unfortunate that we live in such a fast paced world where it's, boom, you got to get this done. But you know what? Sometimes it's better off to go, let me just take a second. Let me just figure it out and do like you did. Let me check my account and make sure that this is legit or not. Be skeptical. Yeah, definitely. So what size of businesses do you work with? And if someone doesn't have an IT department, can you still help them? So just to make it clear, we don't do IT. So we, myself and I have a few consultant contractors that work with me. What we do is strategy and third-party IT oversight. And the size companies we work with are small to medium, 2,200 technology users. They may or may not have a tech department, or they might have an outside firm that they're using. what's called the MSP or managed service provider, which I think are great. They do a wonderful service. I think people should do what they're uniquely good at. If you're good at marketing, do marketing. A lot of firms, we deal with law firms, accounting firms. One of my clients is the largest data migrator for Sage Intact, which is this massive software that's out there all the way to a digital marketing company, ironically, for the music industry. So we deal with a wide variety of people, but What we're really doing is giving them guidance and ensuring they're getting the right products and the right services for the right price. 
And where my business coaching really has lended itself to helping out is because a lot of their issues that they're having aren't necessarily their technology. Maybe it's the wrong people, whether it's the outside provider or it's the wrong person in the wrong seat on the bus that's doing a job they're really not qualified for. But they're the de facto, and this happens a lot in law firms, the partner manager becomes the tech guru. Not really. (laughs) You're a lawyer. Be a lawyer and be really good at it and make lots of money. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Even in the marketing world, I get so many people that say either they try to create a marketing team of people that don't really know marketing or they're like, it doesn't work. Social media doesn't work. And then I'm like, it's not working because you're, you're not a digital marketer. Like when you put your everything into something and you're committed to that, then you're going to have a whole nother level of expertise to offer to people. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you share some of your client success stories with us? Sure. One of them named to remain, we'll just call them a marketing agency, ironically, for the music industry specifically. They had an IT company that they had for four years and was not returning phone calls, was not supporting them, was overbilling them to the extent of, I think they were charging $160 per user per month for support that they weren't getting. So they, I happen to be, again, you mentioned I'm a part of EO Entrepreneurs Organization. This person's as well. And this person came and said to me, could you maybe take a look at what I'm doing. And I said, let me see your agreements. Let me see your invoices. Let me see what's going on. Let me get a picture of what's happening. And what I found was that they were overpaying by, I think it was $60 a user a month for their support times 26 users. You can do the math, $1,800, $2,200 or whatever the dollar amount is, but they were spending well over $2,000 for services and support that weren't getting. So what I did was I went and did a full four-step process. I always follow my process. And I interviewed all the C-level executives and found out what their initiatives and their goals were. And I talked to all the frontline workers and the the managers of the company and found out what their goals and what they were trying to get accomplished and where technology should be making their lives easier, not harder. And I documented all that. I came back with a severity list. Here's your top 10 big severity items that I found in the company. And then we decided what to work on first. And one of the first things I did was I went out and found a IT company that actually wants to support them, is happy to have them as a client and respects them as a client and is charging them not $100 a month per user for support, but they're charging them $45 per user per month for support. But the real kicker is they actually answer the phone. They actually give the support. They actually are proactive to the point where they're just on autopilot. So that was a good success story. I was able to save the money, basically paid for myself and my time as an investment. And they're a lot happier and a lot smoother. And we've got a lot of their systems uh, upgraded and on a regular proactive upgrade type basis. Another quick one I'll tell you is a client that is the largest data migrator for Sage Intact. They were using all SaaS applications, software as a service, Gmail, Slack. They had a third party called Right Networks, which is a way that they could do their extractions. They're using Dropbox. They had all these disparate systems and they weren't HIPAA compliant. And HIPAA compliant compliance is important because they're going after the healthcare field. So I helped move them to the cloud. We just, well, again, four-step process. 
understood what their problems are and what worked, what didn't work, and what their needs were, and what they use. And I was able to get them into an Azure cloud system. I, I picked it, went out for bid. I created a, an RFP, went out for bid. We picked a provider, a meta service provider, who helped move them to the cloud, to Azure, just whether it's Azure or Amazon, but it happened to be Azure. We locked down their system so there's no access from anything other than going into your virtual desktop. Got them completely HIPAA compliant, made a portal using SharePoint so they can actually share their files. And I actually did such a good job that the end of this month is the end of my term with them because they're 100% up and running and they're good to go unless there's a project that comes up. So I work myself out of a job, which I think is my plan, <laughs> is to do so good that you don't really need me anymore. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask you this. If you were to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? If you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. So I... Honestly, and I guess candidly, when I first started, I didn't have a freaking clue. <laughs> I was just out building PCs, installing them, setting them up, get whatever clients I could get. I really didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a plan of what I was going to be. I was just doing what I was passionate about. And there's nothing wrong with that. So if someone's out there starting a new business, it's cool to have a passion, but have a plan of action, have goals. You can call them rocks. You can call them goals, have core values, have a brand promise. Like my brand promises, if I don't provide value, don't pay me. Totally there's to it. Great simple. Cause I know I'm going to provide value, but I think I would have told my younger self that you really should take the time and great. You have a passion for this, but plan what you're going to be in three months, six months, a year, three years, five years, 10 years. What do you really want this to be? So you have a, a a plan of action to go after. That all came later in life for me. Yeah, I definitely, I think I agree with that too, because I think when I was younger and I did, I wanted to, I would always have some sort of side gig going on, nonprofit or business coaching while I was doing my day job. And I always wanted to be working for myself full time. But because of, I think my first with the nonprofit, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And it wasn't growing and it wasn't producing the results that I wanted it to and the end that it needed to survive. And I look back now and I realized the thing that I learned is if something is not working, like within a month, change. Yep. Yeah. Switch it up because if you don't and you don't start to plan, like you said, and actually decide where you're supposed to be at a certain point, you just stick in this, this kind of area rut. of no production. Like you're not getting anywhere. I call it a rut or as Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach would say, you're in the gap where you're constantly trying to reach that horizon, but the horizon is continually moving. Every so often you got to stop and turn around and look behind you and go, oh my God, look how far I've come and yeah. reassess. I mean, yeah. in the Marine Corps, you're constantly taught that, hey, assess the situation. And when the time's right, if you need to reassess or change your plans, do yeah. it's always evolving. Absolutely. So if there are people that are listening and they'd like to get in touch with you to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? Oh, the, there's a number of ways. If you're into texting, you could text the word tech, T-E-C-H, to the number 21,000 and you get my digital business card. You can also go to www.etegrity.net. I got a blog. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter. Just search for my name and hopefully I'll pop up if I'm doing a good job. I think I will. (laughs) 
Perfect. And I'll put all of those links down below as well. Thank you, Steve, for coming on today and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Amy, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you have an amazing story and just a lot of wealth of knowledge that I think that a lot of people really need and really need to take advantage of, especially in the day and age that we're in right now. If you're listening and you want more information about our podcast and upcoming shows, you can go to a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone for listening and have a wonderful week.